I'm Gio. And I'm Renee. And this is Listen to Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest in unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so you can think of something funny to put here. <laughs> you already <laughs> used that one. I can't think of anything. <laughs> it's I the think plug- you used that one too. Uh, basically, we go through it so that you don't have to figure out how to make all of your authorly horse girl dreams come true oh how are you today oh you know just a happy horse girl (laughs) i was never a horse girl have you ever been around horses i was yes (laughs) sorry i was gonna say something and then but i'm answering your question (laughs) (laughs) i was here for it i was waiting for you to answer i kind of was a horse girl no yeah how do you not remember i was obsessed with horses and like unicorns and pegasus and like ponies like i was obsessed is that with why it. you liked my ponytail so much <laughs> because it was like horse hair. <laughs> that seven foot ponytail yeah that's the one <laughs> yeah no that's not why it's just because you had a <laughs> never mind <laughs> i was gonna make some type of horse joke <laughs> i'm good <laughs> we're really uh we're really on it today i think we're both quite snoozy i yeah i like i like snoozy that makes me laugh Uh, you know you're just like a little bit tired and so everything is hilarious everything's funny yeah Yeah. i'm just like giddy as hell poor poor jessica i'm really excited about our guest today i'm gonna like Mm -hmm. just roll right into it so jessica (laughs) you're boring geo no No, I know. We're snoozy. I like that better. (laughs) I'm feeling snoozy. The next time somebody's like, oh, you seem really down or like low energy, I'm going to be like, no, I'm snoozy. (laughs) I like it. So our guest today is Jessica Renwick. She is a middle grade fantasy author who I actually had the pleasure of meeting in person. She is one of the people that I have had the great fortune of collecting through the internet. That makes it sound weird. Okay. No, but I I know exactly what you're saying. There's so many people you collect. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about? Like you go online and you put yourself out there on a social media platform and you're like, these are my interests. And for me, that's writing. And that's how Jessica and I initially connected. And then we found out that we were relatively local because we're both in Alberta. Mm -hmm. And we attended a writer's conference last year in 2019. Shout out when words collide. That's actually happening or it It happened this past weekend virtually and Jessica and I met each other in person and we were both relieved to find that the chemistry we had translated to real life and not just on the internet. That's the best is because like the conversations that you have, you're like, I hope that this is real because it is never real until you're in the same room. That's right. It can be really different because obviously when you present yourself online, it's a certain way or even by text Mm -hmm. it's a certain way so and we didn't spend that much time talking to each other but it was really nice to get to know her in person after such brief contact that we had online or like our introduction online her first published body of work is the starfell series which includes the book of chaos the guitar of mayhem and the bow of anarchy and the fourth book in the series is coming in spring of 2021 
The Book of Chaos has won a bunch of awards. The 2019 Book of Excellence Award winner in children's fiction, 2019 Children's Literary Classics Award winner for Middle Glory General, and the Guitar of Mayhem won 2020 Book Excellence Award in children's fiction. Lovely. Thank you. I didn't breathe that entire time. Like most recordings. <laughs> oh my God. I'll just slow it down for the listeners. Her body of words <laughs> consists of... You can cut all of this out. <laughs> I won't. I'll just put it on repeat. <laughs> Let's get into the entrevue. Inter- oui. What? Is that interview in French? I think so. Entrevue. No, we can't hear you. We're really good at reading lips, though. I have not the best mic. Yeah. Hi, Russ. <laughs> uh, yeah, my IT guy is helping me. <laughs> How lucky that you have one. Right? <laughs> so I'm just going to get you to actually leave and rejoin, and it should rejoin with the new audio setup. How do I tell them that? They can oh, hear we heard. you right now. Oh, thanks, Russ. <laughs> This is how computers work, honey. Apparently, I'm not good at tech. (laughs) All right, so she'll be right back. Okay. (laughs) That's so funny. That's very cute. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, that's so much better. Yay. What would I do without rest? Like, I'd still be sitting here. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I'd be using, like, my half-broken Google Pixel headphones to do this interview. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're so excited that you're here. Yay, I'm Are excited. Are you excited? To- Yay. Okay. So, Could you imagine if she said no? <laughs> yeah, I would be like, and booted. No. Yeah, you're fired. How have you been today? Good, busy. No, it was like 30 degrees here today, so mm-hmm. that was crazy. Warm. Trying to sit in my office upstairs wasn't wasn't working for me. Editing? No. Worse working? Oh, I was doing the not fun stuff of uploading ebooks, re-uploading ebooks. Oh my gosh, I had this nightmare with Ingram Spark because I had my ebooks through Ingram Spark distributed to Kobo and Nook and iTunes and all of those places. Yep. So I didn't have to do it all myself. Yeah. Except back in May when I released my third book, I put the first one on sale for 99 cents, but that's only for like a week, right? Mm-hmm. But once, so when I changed the price back on Ingram Spark, instead of changing it, they sent it again. So there's two copies of my books in all these stores, one for 99 cents, <laughs> one for 2.99. Oh no. Yeah, and then Amazon matches to those other stores. So then it yeah kept it matched to $2.99. And I was selling like a whole bunch of ebooks, but I only make like 30 cents off of a 99 cent ebook. Oh my god. Yeah, and it'd been going on since May. And Ingram Spark was like, oh "Oh, yeah. No, Jessica. I know. I know. I sold over 1200 bucks in the last three months. And Made no money. <laughs> For two dollars. Oh. Yeah. Is there any way that you can go back to fix that? Like just because of that error or no? They just that's oh. Yeah, no, because Ingram Spark was arguing with me saying that it wasn't their fault. But then I was talking to Kobo and the other retailers and they were like, Well, we're getting it from Ingram Spark, like it's not our fault. So I eventually ended up actually going through the Better Business Bureau to get Ingram Spark to finally do something about it because it had been months. Wow. And then they finally did, and it was like an IT problem. <laughs> oh, my God. And they're trying to pass it off as your fault. 
So now this week I have to set them all up myself on all these platforms and it takes forever and oh. I have to adjust the ebook to like each of their configurations and each of the proper links to the right, like to make sure they're within Kobo or within Nook. So I've been doing that <laughs> and it's not that fun. It's the glamorous <laughs> life of a self-pubbed author. Yeah, it's a lot of work that like, it's not the fun part. <laughs> yeah. On the flip side though, I, not to be like, that person to be like, well, you know, you're learning, but it's, yes. I, I always find it's those, it's, <laughs> it's those IT tech things. Like even for me doing like web that mm-hmm. you learn so much w- when there's a fuck up. And that's what I find yeah. where it's like, oh, I actually learned something, <laughs> which is yes. and when you're like, I'm going to rip my hair out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it will be for the better because now I have more control of them. And each of those platforms has their own little promos. You can run through their platforms which when I'm through Ingram Spark, I don't have access to those promos. So I probably actually sell more now. That's actually great. I hope so because I do sell a lot through Amazon, but I'd rather be wide and try and sell other places as well. Mm -hmm. And with Amazon, you can't target Canadian customers, but with Kobo, you can. That's awesome. So it'll be good in the end. I've just been pulling my hair out for a few weeks. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of the end, why don't we go back to the beginning? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Renee's like, yes, segue queen. (laughs) (laughs) So Jessica, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I'm Jessica. Um... (laughs) Hi, Jessica. Hi. I live in Alberta and I write middle grade fiction. I do write a bit of why as well, but I'm only published for middle grade, which is for ages nine to 12, if people don't know, mostly fantasy and a little paranormal now. I have my paranormal series coming out starting in September. I started writing when I was a kid a long time ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started out writing stuff and making my parents read it. It was <laughs> definitely not any good. <laughs> My first novel would be when I was 13, I wrote like a hundred word document pages and it was this really silly story that wasn't even really a story. It was like a day in the life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was into the Saddle Club series at the time. So of course, if you guys don't know what that is, it was like super popular in like the nineties and early two thousands. And it was all these little books about girls and their horses. And I was a horse kid, so I wrote this big, long (laughs) nothing about three friends and their horses and made my parents read it all, of course. (laughs) But my mom was very cute about it. And we went and looked in the Saddle Club book at the copyright page and found like the Bantam Books address on it. So we printed it all off and sent it to Bantam Books. And I got a really nice rejection letter about how they don't publish books written by children. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, that's exploitative, but if it were legal, we'd do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yes, definitely. This would be a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> I was a yeah. bit of a, a horse kid. <laughs> so you're preaching. Really? Oh, yeah. I was telling Renee before we actually we started the interview with you. 
I was so that kid. You guys are crazy. <laughs> Have you ever yeah, seen I... how big a horse is? <laughs> They're huge. Come on. Yes. They're huge. I own, I own two of them. So <laughs> I still have horses as an adult. Yeah, I grew up with them and I was that kid that was just obsessed with her horse. <laughs> They're beautiful. I never had one. I just had like the Barbie version. <laughs> um, those are pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. The, the foot that went like this <laughs> when you pushed oh, the button. Nice. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And it made noise. Yeah. Very realistic, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I had a few of those too. <laughs> so Jess, I, I read the first two books in your series, the Starfell series, the Book of Chaos and the Guitar of Mayhem. And because I know you, because we are yeah. friends, internet friends and real life friends, I definitely saw like parts of your life in the book. The characters yeah. like to drink tea, there's a garden and there's even like a character <laughs> that's a chicken. And I was like, oh, the chicken. <laughs> So many people have said that. I've had people who don't even know me say, oh, you sold me on the fire-breathing chicken. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how you've layered stuff into your writing, like the stuff that you enjoy in your life now, other than horses. The horse doesn't come in until book two, I guess. <laughs> I was kind of natural like so for a long time I was trying to write more literary adult stuff and I decided that I love middle grade I have four nieces and a nephew and three of my nieces are in that age right for middle grade they're ages 9 11 and 13 so I started reading yeah <laughs> started reading books with them and I was like oh I love middle grade I'm gonna write some middle grade and then it's just funny as I started writing that one it seemed like because it was maybe something I was having a little more fun with that more of myself went into it like after Russ read it because he read the very like early early drafts and yeah. he immediately was like I see like so much more of you in this than like anything else and I think it was because with it being middle grade and more I guess of like a genre than like a less serious thing that I was having more fun with it and more relaxed maybe so more of myself yeah. came out into it and especially like given what I had just gone through in my past, I was doing a lot of very serious writing about that kind of stuff mm -hmm. before I wrote the middle grade. So it was almost like a huge switch in gears for me. And I just had so much fun with it. What made you go from a more serious tone to the middle grade? I just wanted to have fun <laughs> with my yeah. writing. <laughs> yeah. I, I had been through a lot of serious things, like with my divorce and the whole domestic violence. I'd gone through the court system and all, like a lot of heavy stuff for a few years. It was just like, okay, hey, I need something like lighter that I can have fun with. The joy and the coziness <laughs> of those things, like it makes me happy to read about them and it makes Yay. me feel really at ease. And I think like that's actually a really good way to touch on some of the themes in your book like so you have like a female protagonist so there's like the young girl fable is the main character of the starfell series i like fable a lot she's really interesting like she's stubborn and she's courageous yeah. but she also like tries to be a good kid and she kind of like does what she wants a lot of the time yes she does she's yes. she's a leader <laughs> she, yes. she's a leader i don't want to say bossy because i right? hate it when that word is like a sign Same. especially to to girls, girls or female children 
how did you develop Fable in your mind? Like, did you kind of say to yourself, I want to write a character that I would have fun following along on their adventures? Or were you trying to like appeal to your nieces or? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely had my nieces in mind when I was writing it. But I also had kind of myself in mind too. Like when I was a kid, what I would have wanted to read and kind of like the role model I would have needed in my life. So mm -hmm. I kind of had Fable dealing with a few things that I dealt with as a kid. And it's almost like me wishing I had dealt with it the way she did. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as like an example that I could have followed as a kid. Can you say like specifically something that comes to mind? So at the beginning when she's like kind of being forced to hide herself and mm -hmm. trying to be forced to fit in and just kind of like when I was a kid, I just like fell into that because I was very timid and a lot more timid than Fable and less <laughs> less stubborn <laughs> but I kind of fell into some stuff like that and I got bullied as a kid and just like desperately wanted people to like me and desperately made choices that weren't true to myself so I kind of had Fable like facing some of that kind of stuff and just being like no this is who I am and finding her way through. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because you're touching on this idea of like authenticity and mm -hmm. it's almost like something that was reflected in your own writing journey. Like you were like, oh, I want to write in this literary genre because, you know, like maybe you thought it would match kind of the heavy stuff that you were dealing with. Or yeah. if you're like me, who as an adult is still desperate to be liked, but I do, <laughs> I have talked on the podcast <laughs> before. Yeah, right. I've talked on the podcast, you know, as an author who's still struggling to emerge, so to speak, if I'm going to use the industry parlance, I'm craving that validation and that like the traditional way to get it seems to like break into literary yeah. right or like poetry and it yeah. almost <laughs> feels like you found your authentic voice as an author which is something that we hear about a lot like you and mm -hmm. I have both gone to conferences and there are like yeah. whole panels about people talking about their author voice and authenticity absolutely that was never my intention from like the beginning of my writing was to get into middle grade but then once I started it was just so much fun and then <laughs> after I decided to self-publish I had so many good experiences with the readers like at my book signings talking to kids and then after I've had kids email me I had one mom Aww. email me and then we talked on the phone and her daughter did her 4-H speech about me and my book so she interviewed me it was really cute yeah <laughs> so, like, so right, cute right I was like so heartwarming <laughs> and so like experiences like that I was like I love writing for kids if they like you they like love you <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> if they're undying yeah. loyalty right <laughs> it's so true I've worked with kids mm -hmm. and from like an art perspective and yeah if you can engage with them and connect with that creative side where they are mm -hmm. not afraid to kind of explore that side of themselves and you're encouraging yeah. them you you you've got them with you like it's it's such oh, a yeah. it's very magical Yes, especially doing anything artistic with them. I was an EA for a while and I really enjoyed doing that, but I find doing the more artistic and the creative stuff with them is like you can really connect with kids and really encourage them. And art is a way to encourage kids to be themselves and to be authentic and to... I just did a day camp with two little girls, a creative writing day camp. And it was really good. Like her, the one little girl has cystic fibrosis. So obviously her mom didn't want her out doing 
like the public day camps. So we just set up for me to come to their house and we were safe about it and sanitized everything. And it was just her and her best friend. And it was just the best. It was so much fun. And I brought character sheets and world building sheets. And we did all this creating and stuff together. And they were both really shy at first. And by the end, we were like best friends. It was so awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> and they were drawing their characters and coloring their worlds. And yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> I was just about to ask you if you had ever, if you had any plans of doing any workshop with kids, but you know, you, know, you, you beat oh, me to it. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. So the, do you see that as a potential thing that you could do in the future, like recurring? I would like to, yeah. I guess it's just waiting out this pandemic <laughs> yeah. to figure out um, the logistics of doing that and to find a, a place to do that. That one just worked out because I went to their house. I do have my books in a really cool art shop in Red Deer now. They, I just brought them there last week and uh, she wants to do some workshops and stuff there once everything's calmed down a bit. So I was doing a bit of snooping on your website. I noticed that as well as being an author, you also offer editing as a service. When did you decide to make the shift towards freelance editing and like why? Like what was the... Well, that was very recent. I just got or I finished my certification in May. And I went through the Writer's Digest University mm -hmm. and did the whole copywriting course or sorry, copy editing course. And um, I really enjoy working with my editor. <laughs> it's totally leveled up my writing game the first time I edited and she's like amazing. Mm -hmm. And she really like kind of changed my whole writing life. Like I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without having worked with her. So I enjoyed it and thought if I could help other writers and thought that would be something I would enjoy doing from her end. I finished that in May and just started offering mm -hmm. services. And so far it's going pretty good. I've actually done a lot of critiques like that are shorter, just a few chapters. And it's, I don't know, it's just fun. And it's fun working with writers who are just kind of starting out and they get really excited when they see the changes. And when they send it to me again and I tell them how it's looking better, they just get super excited about everything and I just really enjoyed it and it makes me feel like I'm kind of giving back after I lucked out finding my editor she's just amazing and she gave me a good deal to start out with but there's something to be said about that collaborative nature within mm -hmm. any creative field is mm -hmm. when you're bouncing ideas back and forth and you're able to like I work predominantly by myself so I yeah. always find it when I am working with other people if that is the case like when they're actual like other creatives not just a client you get so much more because you you have yeah. that that I that's yes. relating to what you do and then you're able to actually get constructive yeah feedback and it's I, I don't know your work is so always so much better you probably face the same thing in art as writers do in that you've looked at it and looked at it and looked at it so much, like hours, that <laughs> it's almost like warped in your head, like into, you just don't pick up on other things or other ideas, whereas a fresh set of eyes looking at it can give you just that feedback. And a lot of the time she'll pick up things that I'm like, what? Like, I know not to do that. Why did I do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Or why did I not think of that kind of thing? So just having that other set of eyes just makes such a big difference. Now, are you editing for like a group of people? Like are, how many, like, would you call them clients? I have several clients and I've had several clients. They're all separate people. <laughs> and I've done some academic papers as well. I obviously prefer doing the fiction. Of but course, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's the fun stuff. But academic papers pay the bills. And I had one girl really excited about it and her thesis is getting published. So 
you're contributing. You're you're helping like a not not to say like listen, we we are not by any means like a, of a certain age, but you're yeah. helping like another generation. And when I say yeah. generation, not like age. I mean like a gr- a new yeah fleet of yeah. of writers. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because there's new writers coming in from every age. There's lots of people just kind of starting out, even their forties and fifties, right? So. Mm-hmm. As someone who is published, now are you finding that working with these writers that you're able to inspire them? Like, are you able to pass on some energy that would help them feel like, let's keep this going? Yes, and I find that a lot of new writers need that. I know I did as well, mm-hmm. especially like if, if you have zero recognition, you're not out at all yet. It can be so demoralizing and exhausting. Absolutely. Um, I have one client that we did I went through her book with her and she entered it in rev pit and she ended up winning. And it was just like, so good. Cause she'd been working on that book for like a year. She kind of had like a few me and some critique partners that were really being her cheer- cheerleaders. And I'm so glad that she continued on with it and entered it in that because then she won and she so deserved it. And it was just like that moment of being like, yes, all that, like a year of work. It's <laughs> finally like something's happening. <laughs> Jessica, one of my favorite things to talk about as a writer, especially right now, man, I have been re-sculpting, well, not re-sculpting, I'm rewriting a young adult book. You were talking about YA earlier. Yes. So I'm writing a young adult book that I have been writing since 2012. Good for you. Okay, so I'm sure you know this as a writer. This book has gone through like 65 different iterations because it started (laughs) as a rough, like a really rough draft that I did during NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Not a sponsor, but it's NaNoWriMo.org. And it's super awesome. It is. (laughs) So why don't you take us through what it looks like for you when you're you know, like even starting with the idea of a story and then you're going through your drafting process into finalizing and editing. So take us through the conception and birth of your book children. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I get ideas just at weird times, like when I'm in the shower or walking my dogs or whatever, I'm not thinking, Mm -hmm. then I get my ideas. But Often I'll sit on my ideas, as you probably know, I sit on them and don't actually do anything with them for like a few years. <laughs> I, I that have. That is the same. Yep. Have you yeah. ever heard what Neil Gaiman says about how it's like you have an idea and it rolls around in your head yeah. until it collides with something else that's been rolling around in your head for a while? And then you're like, hmm, hmm, both those things together. It would be good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have had stuff like that happen and I've had stuff that I've started writing And then, well, I have a lot of stuff on my computer that I've started writing and now it's going over there for a while because I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. You're letting it mature. (laughs) Yes, I'm letting it, yes, think about things. (laughs) (laughs) But when I actually finally decide to write something, (laughs) I have learned since on this journey of becoming actually published and actually finishing a book that um, outlining is actually a really good thing. Um, (laughs) a lot a lot of people don't like like to hear that but it does uh really help clarify things in your brain before you even start drafting uh but I do keep my outlines very flexible because yes once mm -hmm, once I start drafting 
I will often get like better ideas and oh, I have to change this like while I'm drafting. So I have to make sure that I don't get it in my head that I'm like stuck in stone that this has to happen and this has to happen. I think Start most drafting. people who are discovery, if I can call them that, discovery mm-hmm. writers and get mad when you're like, you should use an outline, mm-hmm. think that the outline is carved in stone, so to speak. Yeah. The outline can also be a draft yeah. and you can discovery write and get excited about what you're writing as you're writing to, as you said, like yeah. a flexible outline and then change it when it doesn't fit. Oh yeah. Cause you can write an outline that's like 10,000 words. Yeah. And that's basically a first draft (laughs) for a middle grade book yeah Yeah, it is um so I always do that first and I have since learned as I've continued on with my more recent books I have a big whiteboard up on my office and I have split it into like the first act the second act and the third act and I have sticky notes for plot points that I want to hit and I stick them up there so that I can get like a good visual of everything of where I want the story to go and I can see the story arc and that um, helps me with drafting a lot because I am a bit of a discovery writer but if I sit and have a blank page and like nothing nowhere to go Mm -hmm. then nothing happens (laughs) so um, I always do that first I usually take a few weeks to do that and even then it'll always change it I've never written like completed a book that stays on the plot. In fact, I'll get like 5,000 words in and be like, oh, I have to have this one thing happen. And then I have to go back and replot everything because it all changes. <laughs> so, so it's a bit chaotic at first. And even in my first draft, I can't remember who said this quote, but it's something about like, you're just shoveling sand into the sandbox and then you're creating your, ca- your sand castle later when you revise. That is exactly like what I do. My first drafts are like, so terrible as somebody who is not a writer what does a discovery writer mean oh that's a really good question actually Mm -hmm. yeah that's um it's someone who i guess they enjoy looking at a blank page and a lot of time it'll be like a character driven type of story so they don't necessarily know the plot or where it's going some people will sit down and they don't even know what the ending will be yet I always have my twist in my ending first. I always know where I'm going with that because that seems to be the ideas I get in my head first. But but yeah, a discovery writer kind of explores the world and the characters uh, without 100% knowing the plot yet. That gives me anxiety. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but it's interesting that you make that point just because I never thought of it like that. I am a discovery writer for sure and I almost never know how... Yeah. The stories that I'm writing are end. And I think it's interesting that when you have an idea and you kind of think of the twist and the ending and you're like, I got to work back from this. So I got to yeah. go back to the beginning and then work up to it. For yeah. me, usually, and the, this is part of the reason that it makes it hard to finish stuff is because mm-hmm. I get these ideas that are like, what if this person was in this weird ass situation? Yeah. Like what would happen next? Instead of like, this is what happened and yeah. then working back. But that's a fun way to write too. It is. And that, that is actually how I did my first book, The Book of Chaos. The yeah. other books were more, I had the twist at the end first, but the first book, well, okay. So the first book, I'm going to give away what a huge nerd I am. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. Yeah. Russ and I play D&D, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and he actually, we have a campaign that's been going for like years, mm-hmm. like a weekly campaign. So when he first started it, we had to create these characters 
And Fable is based off of my character in that campaign because he asked me to write a backstory <laughs> for my character. And I wrote him like, like a 3000 word essay that I thought, yeah, this actually would make a pretty good book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was, he wanted our characters to each have like something crazy happened to them before all of our characters met. And mine was that she found this crazy book and it ate her friend. <laughs> That's the, the plot of yeah. the book yeah. of chaos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So that's, that's where everyone always asks like, oh, where'd you get the inspiration for your first book? And I always think like they want some like dramatic story of my childhood or something. And it's like, mm, should I tell them I play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm like 36 years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You vomit the sand into the sandbox. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So you're in your first first shitty draft stage, let's say. Yes. So yes. then what happens next? Um, after that, I usually leave it for like a few days mm -hmm. <laughs> to let my brain like soak it all in. <laughs> or like, I don't want to look at this anymore. Or I don't want to look at this because I might cry at how terrible my rating is. <laughs> so once I like feel better about myself, <laughs> I then go back in and I start revising. Sometimes I already have like ideas in my head of what I want. Well, I usually know by the end, like it's kind of like itching at me. I need to go fix this chapter and change these things. So I'll usually go and do like all that first, all that big stuff that's in your head that you know needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is plot stuff and character arcs. Like the way, well, I'll look at plot stuff first and then I'll do another pass with my character arcs. And I kind of do a pass with, with each character's arc because it's like pretty intense sometimes when you like change their arc at the end because you're like, oh, this would have been better. And then you have to go fix every chapter. They should have done this or they should have said this <laughs> instead. So it's like picking out all these little pieces that you have to fix. So, and then when I'm finally done doing all that, that takes me the longest time. Like it takes me just as long to revise that stuff as it does to write the first draft. So then I do all that. And then I do another pass, making sure my settings and my descriptive language and stuff like that is better. Because sometimes I'll just be like, they're at this place in my first draft. And then I'm like, good enough. Like, I know what it looks like in my head. I'll deal with that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For my last few passes, I go in and give myself a copy edit to make sure my prose is okay. Mm -hmm. Because I would hate to send another book to Talina and it not be better than the last one I sent her. So yeah, Talina Winters yeah. is your editor, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And always thinking that I'm like, oh, I don't want to like disappoint her. Like by sending her something that's like worse than the last It's her book. job yeah. to read your draft. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like gotta make it really good. Talina's yeah. like, why is she giving this to me? It's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I don't need to do anything. No, I wish. I wish. <laughs> Like I said to Gio earlier, as a writer, you've been over it so many times, your yep. eyes will just slide right past stuff. And even your editors will too, after going over it so many times. So, so you're self-publishing, mm -hmm. but you've also been trad pubbed, traditionally published as well. Yes. Uh, just a short story. Just a short story. Okay. Yeah. So what were both of those experiences like for people who have not done either? Self-publishing is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's pros and cons going both ways with self-publishing too you have to really be I guess sure that your work is is up to par 
it's expensive, like it does come out of your own pocket to pay for that editing and those assessments. The traditional side, it's very difficult to get traditionally published. And um, there's a lot of great books out there that, or great stories out there that will never be published or have never been able to get published that way. Yeah. So that can be tough. And it's a lot longer. Like it's a very long process. Like it's longer than self-publishing um, mm -hmm. because you have to get the agent and then go through the submission stuff. I know. So for my short story, I didn't need an agent or anything like that. He just had a call out for stories about girls who find mythical objects and how it changes them and the world around them. And I just thought this is right up my alley. So when I saw his call for it, I just wrote the story and sent it in <laughs> and <laughs> luckily he liked it and I got accepted for that so then going with him I went through the same process with having a developmental edit and having a copy edit and having a proofread it was the whole same process but I didn't have to pay for it <laughs> yeah but that's a short story so I know with novels it would be it's a lot more involved there's nothing wrong with either way that people want to go there's pros and cons to both so, yeah. And you have to invest time. I'm spending so much more time on marketing than I ever thought because nobody else is singing your praises out there. So you have yeah, to. Yeah. Because the what publisher a... will have like contacts <clears throat> or yeah. deals and they'll yeah. put you on. Yeah. They'll just like, or even like they'll pay for starred reviews of your books yeah. or for news outlets to review your books. And then that becomes this thing of like a distribution. It's like movies in film studios distributing them, right? It actually does yeah. have a huge impact. Even like editorial reviews. I do have some on my books, but mm -hmm. as a self-published author, you have to pay for, pay for those. Well, I mean, publishers have to pay for them too. Yeah. And so if you're self-publishing and you're paying for an editorial review, it would be disappointing if it wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you have to invest a lot more in yourself. And I think being self-published, you really do have to have confidence in yourself and your writing and to be able to do that. Because uh, it is kind of scary, right? Like mm -hmm. to submit your book to editorial reviewers or I've submitted mine into con some contests, like award contests, uh, which... People, self-published authors have kind of mixed views on that, like if they're worth it or not. Um, I think for writing for kids, it is worth it. It's made a big difference with getting trust from parents and teachers and stuff because you're writing for their kids. So mm. you want to make sure the editorial reviews are important and the and winning awards does help. I've had parents come up to me in, in Calgary at the One Chapters and tell me they read my review from the one award that I won for the first book and that made them want to come check me out. Yeah, that was the Book of Chaos, right? Yeah. So which awards have you won? I won the 2019 Book Excellence Award for Children's Fiction and the 2019 Children's Literary Classics Award for Middle Grade General. And then I won the 2020 Book Ex Excellence Award in Children's Fiction for the second book in the series. So are you submitting? Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank yeah. You. That's a Thank huge you. accomplishment. Yeah, I was excited. I had no idea like how it would go because they get like hundreds of submissions, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I'll just submit and see what happens. And then mm -hmm. it's very exciting when it goes your way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> cover design too for self-publishing. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good covers are not cheap. But Yeah, but you have more control over your cover, right? When you're paying yeah. for it. I've used two cover artists and I love both of them. And mm -hmm. it's definitely important to look at their portfolios and see and make sure that they fit your genre as well. Because that's a big thing when you're paying for 
advertising your books, like on Amazon, if your cover doesn't fit the genre, people don't want it. <laughs> they won't mm -hmm. click on it. Yeah. I was looking at a book yesterday. A friend of mine was showing uh, his cousin's published book and it was about, it had to do with like mental health for gay men. Oof. As a designer, I, if I if I see rainbow on a book geared towards gay men, I just think uh, like, no, girl, <laughs> no. Yeah. It, was it makes a difference. If it people will buy it or not, right? Like if people look at that and are like, oh, they're not gonna buy it. Mm -hmm. Okay, segue queen. That's a really good segue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Into another question. So because we're talking about the publish industry and stuff like that, I have ranted previously on this podcast on my small soapbox. It's large. Um, yeah. Potentially, Gio might have just cut it out because he has the unglamorous task of listening back to our recording and then just like <laughs> cutting out all of my <laughs> but anyway so I've talked about like the push toward diversity in publishing mm -hmm. and one of the barriers well barriers to entry of self-publishing and traditional publishing is network opportunities visibility and money right so yep. self-publishing if you don't have financial resources it's a harder mm -hmm. game to get into but yep. then the publishing industry overwhelmingly favors white, straight, cisgendered mm -hmm. authors, predominantly yeah. men, but also women, right? Like yeah. there are a lot of women, straight white women who have been published. Yep. These books lot. I may or may not have picked up and gone, why? Oh yeah, we've had conversations like this before. <laughs> we have. Yeah. So I think it's important to talk about, you know, as uh, white ladies writing, mm -hmm. um, which is the name of the next podcast that I start. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody needs that podcast. That's not. <laughs> yeah. um, why it's important to include diversity in the books that we write too, and obviously as white people, we're going to get it wrong. Yep. But I think that it's important. I think that there needs to be a push for own voices, which is a yep. movement in the publishing industry for authors of color and mm -hmm. different sexual orientations and gender identities yep. to be published with their stories based on their lived experience or even mm -hmm. fiction that they write that is partly informed by lived experience, but also for people who are cisgendered and straight and white or not part of a visible minority group mm -hmm. to write stories that include diverse characters because people need to see themselves represented like that's huge yeah. and especially I for agree. children yeah i worked in a school they even here in alberta now there's very diverse my classroom was totally diverse it wasn't like it's not all just white like it was in alberta when I was a kid. There's so many people here now and they need to see themselves in books. So I think diversity is very important. And I also know that I, as a white writer, I would never write a main character of someone else's experience though. Mm -hmm. Like I would have diverse characters in my book, but I think that if I were to try and write a story about a Native American kid or like and have them as the main character and it be about their experience I don't think that instead we need to promote those writers to tell their stories mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah absolutely because those are the, their stories to tell and they've been so traditionally suppressed ignored. in the publishing yeah. industry and ignored yeah yeah so is that, that was your intention with the Starfell series when you wrote mm -hmm. it? Like, how did you approach writing diversely? 
Well, I knew that my main character would be a white little girl because that's my lived experience. Mm -hmm. And I am not going to co-opt other people's stories. But I was it was very important for me to her for her friends and for other characters within the stories to be diverse. And I guess coming from a fantasy angle, it's probably a little bit easier because my world is a made-up world. So I don't have to delve into the politics. They can just look a certain way and be treated normal. So coming at it that way, it was just important for me for kids to see kids that would look like them in the book. And then I also do have a couple in there, a gay couple. Yeah. And that was very important to me. I have family members and lots of friends who are LGBTQ. So that was very important to me. And I was actually a little bit nervous about that for in middle grade for in not nervous about that for the rest of the world, but a little bit for Alberta, <laughs> um, the school visits and stuff that I was doing. But it was very important for me to have that in there. So I just, I did it. <laughs> and it's yeah. gone over very well. Actually, in the one classroom visit I did, we talked about it. The kids were really funny. The one kid was just like, yeah, my uncle's gay. <laughs> he was like, another little girl's just like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. And it was like really good. Yeah. Cause the teacher brought it up and she was just like, yeah. And she was so good about it. Cause she even said, you know, like I was nervous to like read this part to you guys, but I shouldn't have been, and we're all learning. And this is, yeah, she made yeah. it like a really nice little lesson for a little grade five class. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, that's an important point too. It's like even, man, that's how I kind of feel about writing diversely too, is like we can't co-opt other people's stories, but I yeah. feel really strongly that white people have a responsibility to understand how these systems yeah. are suppressive and oppressive historically and right now, not just like before, yeah. the before times. As an author, when you're doing research into diverse characters and kind of like unpacking your own biases and like learned mm -hmm. things that you've internalized that you don't necessarily realize, it is really important, but it also affords this opportunity, like you said, when kids are reading it to actually just talk about it yeah. and be like, okay, now we can confront or challenge this as well. And there's nothing... Other than the fact that we live in Alberta, the conservative <laughs> bastion of Canada, so much of our world is compulsive, like that, that heteronormativity just like mm -hmm. permeates everything, right? And there's nothing inappropriate about a gay couple, right? Like the way that you represent Fedilmid yes. and Alger. Yeah. They're a couple, but they don't do anything inappropriate they're just like any other straight married couple in a children's book like they yeah. live together <laughs> they bicker slightly which i can <laughs> definitely relate to they make meals together and they care for the people in their lives and yeah. that should be the kind of normative representation that we have of all kinds of couples we're gonna touch just a little bit on this and I know that you and I talked about this before which is in the first edition of the mm -hmm. guitar of chaos or the book of chaos I should say sorry mm -hmm. not the guitar of mayhem which is book two there is a word that appears in the first printed edition yeah and I'm gonna say it so just a content warning that this is an ethnic slur if anybody doesn't want to listen to this part you can skip it so the yeah. word is gypsy and it was used in the context in the book where it's like describing I would even say like bohemian 
like yeah. aesthetic. Style, like, yeah. Yeah, style, like bangles and swooshy skirts and stuff like yeah. that. So you had mentioned to me what happened around that, and I'd really love to to hear you talk about that. I guess this is showing my rural Alberta raising and just not necessarily knowing any better. That word just kind of like rolled off my tongue when I was writing, writing it, right? And like, she wears long skirts and the bangles, like you were saying, and the big hoop earrings. And to me, I didn't think anything of it because we kind of grew up children of the 90s with like movies like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and stuff yeah. like that, right? I didn't even think about it. Then a while later, I was reading and all the more liberal stuff, I guess, <laughs> reading, learning about that kind of stuff. And I saw that like, oh, that's like, considered a slur like that's a bad word and mm -hmm. nobody had ever mentioned it to me never in a review anything but it kind of clicked in my head like I think I used that in yeah. my first book and this was after the second book was already published so I kind of went back through both books and sure enough I did use it in the first book early on and I think it's the first chapter I didn't use it in the second one but I, I did use it in the first and I was like I don't want my work to offend anyone and I don't want my work to be associated with that kind of attitude or that kind of yeah like upholding that kind of yeah 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 so I was kind of like horrified <laughs> luckily I'm self-published <laughs> so <laughs> I just uh and I had wanted to reformat them eventually anyway so mm -hmm. I just found a formatter a girl that I really like and she and I did the little control f for that word to make sure there wasn't any more and uh, removed it then had her do the reformatting of it and uploaded it onto KDP and Ingram Spark. So now in any book people buy now, it's not in there. And I was able to do that with my eBooks too. I just went back and edited it out. We're moving into this sort of space where people are being called out and called in publicly and personally offline and online. It's important to remember that when you learn new information, all you really need to do with it, instead of taking it personally and being like, oh my God, I'm a mm -hmm. terrible person. Like you just need to, to sit with it. You need to examine yeah. your biases, but then do what you did and, and be like, well, I'm not participating in this anymore. Yeah. You know, there was a time when maybe I didn't know better or I wouldn't have even yeah. known to look into this. And now I do know. So I'm correcting it. I'm taking the steps I need to not to engage in this stuff. Yeah, like language is important. And yes. Especially with kids, it's forming their views of the world. And mm -hmm. I would hate to be participating in forming children's views to use words like that or think that that's fine when it can really hurt someone. Yeah, and perpetuate <laughs> stereotypes for sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. for sure, for sure. Gio and I do this like creative power up thing. So if you can think of anything that's inspiring you lately and if you want to share it. <laughs> Jess is like absolutely not it's 38 degrees here right now yeah yeah I'm dying <laughs> um inspiring me lately I did just purchase is it the artist way I think that's what oh it's I've heard of that book yeah yeah and I haven't I just started going through it yeah. And she talks about writing morning pages. So getting oh. up every morning mm -hmm. and writing like the three pages. And so I've just started getting into the book. So I know there's more. Yeah. But, um, that is actually pretty cool. Cause I'm a person that has like pretty high anxiety. Just that's 
my life. <laughs> also pandemic. Yeah. 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 And just writing that those three pages to empty your brain of all your worries and everything, mm-hmm. get it out of your head before you sit down to write anything else. It actually does really help you focus and really help. It's meant for not just writers, like for everyone, anybody mm-hmm. doing creative stuff, like yeah, empty your brain and then all your worries are written down over there and you can go to work. (laughs) Yeah. Leave them on the page. The page can hold them and you can go on to do other stuff. That's awesome. I've started doing that because definitely the pandemic has affected, has affected my creativity for sure. I've been like, (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Seriously. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for coming and thank you for listening to me. It was good to meet you, Gio. You too. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear back when you get your copy of uh, The Conscious Creative. <gasps> oh, yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Jessica was our giveaway winner. Yes. Yeah. And I enter like all the giveaways and I've never, ever won. <laughs> so hey, it's I'm a sign. so excited. Yeah, yeah. It was meant to be. Yeah. It's so <laughs> good. I think you're really going to take a lot out mm-hmm. of it. Thanks so much, Jessica. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you had me. Okay. (laughs) Do you have any power-ups? You know what mine is? Mm. I had a bath in a clawfoot soaker tub last night because it was in our hotel room. Are you talking about uh, with the feet? You need to post that on the Instagram. <laughs> if, if this, I will. If this, this will make it into the episode, you have to post that on to be like, this is I the will. tub that I soaked my body in. <laughs> so you're inspired by taking a tub in a fancy a hotel room. <laughs> God damn it. We're right uh, back to where we started. <laughs> like, what's the word? Room. Yeah. <laughs> So that's inspiring you or it's like at least like no it was just nice it was nice to disconnect from reality and do something that I feel really grateful to get the opportunity to do because it was like such a last minute thing and we had the money to do it um and I know that things won't always be that way and I was like you know what let's just do it man and I got to like wade into a glacial lake and freeze my feet off and I didn't even know you were going because it was like super last minute. My cousin literally called me and was like, can you meet us? And then I had to like call my mom-in-law to see if she would take the dogs. And You're yawning while you're talking? Yeah, I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> and it's so, really warm in here. I was like, do you want me to cut that? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, really, I bitch? I do want you to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> let's record our outro so that you only need to use that part oh my god yeah because i don't have a creative power up (laughs) yeah i want to thank everybody for listening to me and me and to jessica renwick our special guest for today and if you have any burning questions or you want to see photos of me as a child with my barbie ponies our inboxes are open and you can email us at listen to me podcast at gmail.com or you can dm us on instagram Uh, yeah, you can follow us on social media anywhere at listen to that's the number two me podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. And if you like what you hear, let us know by rating this podcast and subscribing. All of that helps us so much. It really does. Yeah. And as per usual, music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Bye.
Y... <risa> <risa>